0: Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast, where we talk about all things OCD. The show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace professional mental health care. Here's your host, Christina Orlova.
1: Welcome to OCD Whisper podcast. Today, I actually have an amazing guest who is back with us, and it is Dr. Roberto Olivardia, and he is a lecturer at, um, at Harvard Medical School, and he also has a, a private practice. And one of the topics that we're going to talk about today actually is very interesting. It's the inter- intersection between um, ADD and OCD. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Olivardia.
0: Oh, it's great to be here. My pleasure.
1: Um, So I was wondering if you can give us just a little bit of kind of a bird's eye view about, you know, kind of what what would be some symptoms or how would you know, like, what exactly is ADD and what is OCD? Like, how do those things show up? Um, Just so we can start with some basics.
0: Sure. So ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's actually one of the probably one of the most misunderstood conditions, um, in that uh, people typically associate it with an inability to focus and it impacting people in school, when in reality, it's a a lot more than that. So basically, we have different categories of symptoms, you would have um, attention dysregulation symptoms, which is the, the name is a bit of a misnomer. It's not that people with ADHD lack attention. It's more that if they're not interested in something or if there's moderate interest in something, it's very difficult for them to sustain attention, regulate their attention, um, shift their attention um, appropriately. Now, likewise, if it's something that uh, is very interesting or very stimulating, a person with ADHD will have no issue paying attention. In fact, we call it a, I say we because I have ADHD myself, that we hyper-focus if we're really interested in could focus for 12 hours if we have to. So sometimes if a parent um, says to me, Oh, I don't, I don't think my kid has ADD uh, because they can play video games for 12 hours straight. They can focus Mm -hmm. on that. I said, well, yeah, video games are very stimulating. And if it's (laughs) pleasurable to them, they'll not, they're not going to have a problem. The question is how do they do when it's something that is moderately to, you know, little interest. Mm -hmm. Now with that, keeping in mind that for anyone, People without ADHD can certainly say, well, yes, if I'm less interested in something, I'm not going to be as stimulated. Maybe my attention will wane a little bit. And that's true. But for people with ADHD, it's much more significant in that the amount of energy that it takes to sort of focus and stay focused is uh, exhausting. Uh, It can be really, really difficult. So that's the attention issues. Then you have the impulsivity issues. People with ADHD often have issues with impulse control. Mm -hmm. So that could be anything from, you know, the kid that can't sit still in their seat. But impulse control can also be being hyperverbal, blurting things out impulsively. Um, It could be doing impulsive behaviors. So people with ADHD carry a significantly higher risk of any kind of addictive or impulse control disorder. So that could be substance abuse, it could be gambling. I work with people with ADHD and binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, um, self-harm, uh, shopping porn addiction. I mean, you name it. Um, and so typically what we try to do is try to help someone find kind of a healthy outlet for for that kind of um, addictive, of trait that a lot of people with adhd uh, will have so they will act without really thinking and that can get you into a lot of trouble if you think about all of the sort of situations in which we have to pause before we act Um, if we're mad at our boss you know we will withhold maybe saying something that we will later regret because it could get us into trouble people with adhd have a harder time with that hyperactivity. Now, not everyone with ADHD has the hyperactive symptoms, and this is especially true for girls with ADHD who are massively still underdiagnosed, that you'll still see in places that say that boys outnumber girls uh, three to one. That's actually not true. Boys outnumber girls in diagnosis of ADHD, but not in actuality of ADHD. Um, I see just as many women and girls. um, It's just that they're not always as easy to identify because maybe they're not the kind of rambunctious kid but hyperactivity isn't just conceptualized as a physical hyperactivity sort of always on the go and motor it's also can be conceptualized as a mental hyperactivity sort of racing thoughts having like multiple trains of thought that it can be very difficult to be that focused on any one singular train of thought And then the other symptoms are the executive functions. And this is the core part of what ADHD is. So executive functions are all of the cognitive processes that our brain does in order for us to get a task done, to execute a task. So that includes our ability to organize information, organize our physical space, prioritize if we have five things to do, what do we do first, second, third, fourth, fifth, how we manage time, our ability to regulate our emotions our working memory, all of these things are executive functions. This is a core part of what ADHD is. People with ADHD have difficulty with executive functions, which are not intelligence, very different than intelligence. So you can have a super high IQ and have very poor executive functions, which if you can imagine could be very puzzling because culturally we think of, oh, you know, you're so smart. Like how do you not know how to manage time well? Or how do you not know how to... But that's, there's two very, very separate entities. And in fact, Russell Barkley, who's the world's leading researcher on ADHD, said that you almost have to conceptualize people with ADHD, certainly prior to the age of 30, as being a third less the chronological age in executive function. So if I'm working with a 21-year-old who is always late, who misses and misplaces their homework all the time. In a way, their executive functions could be that of a 14 or 15-year-old. And there are strategies for that. And all the stuff that I said is not only just what we see behaviorally, but there's a lot of really fascinating neuroscientific research that shows how the ADHD brain basically is primed for all of these things. So um, neurochemicals such as dopamine, which is implicated in reward um, and stimulation, people with ADHD are in a dopamine deficit. So we are... basically a baseline, have an under-aroused brain.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I think of ADHD for myself as I am always oriented to my environment by what is going to stimulate me. So we get bored very, very easily because we're starting at a much lower threshold of stimulation. Mm -hmm. And GABA, which is another neurotransmitter, implicated in inhibition. So if we have appropriate levels of GABA, were appropriately inhibited. People with ADHD have low levels of GABA, so they're less inhibited. So now you have a brain that really is designed to be kind of under-aroused, seeking stimulation, having a harder time holding back the impulse. So you can see how impulse control issues and all these issues sort of play out. And then the frontal lobe, which is where our executive functions are housed, studies show that the ADHD brain has a bit of a delay in maturity so there we see you know that the maturity lag so that that in a nutshell is what adhd is and and as you hear just from what i'm saying that this goes way beyond the classroom i mean adhd truly impacts every life domain and it's not a mental illness adhd is a neurodiverse condition so it's just a way a brain is wired That could make it very challenging and frustrating at times. And there are aspects of that same brain, the sort of neurodivergent thinking, creative thinking, um, out of the box kind of thinking that people with ADHD actually grow to embrace and really love, provided that the challenges are managed well.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. That's actually a really good um, overview for especially anybody who's not fully familiar. And that kind of segues into the next question of, you know, definitely, and I'm sure perhaps you've seen this, but sometimes folks with also OCD, you know, how some behaviors can look like, or maybe seem like maybe, and, and sometimes clients even say things like, oh, maybe I have, you know, ADHD, um, I, but, you know, they might mistake, a compulsion and that that sense of urgency and drive to feel like I have to do, do that um, behavior to neutralize everything for, you know, oh, maybe this is why I can't focus because I have ADHD. So can you talk a little bit about kind of like what that is and what that intersection is?
0: Yes. Yeah, so this is probably one of the uh, most interesting comorbidities. So ADHD, first of all, rarely travels alone. So ADHD, you'll often see comorbidity. Um, 20% of people with ADHD will have a depressive episode or bipolar spectrum. 30% will have anxiety. You'll see a large prevalence of people with binge eating disorder, again, is an addiction. Now, OCD is one of those interesting ones because we often will think of OCD as the opposite of ADHD. And in fact, there's a lot of similarities uh, between the two. And studies show that about 30, up to 30% of people with OCD have ADHD. Mm. And oftentimes when people have both, one of them will often be not diagnosed. So sometimes I treat people, they come in, they have ADHD. And then in the work, it's very evident to me that it's, there's more, you know, that it's intrusive thoughts that are getting in the way of their attention Mm -hmm. versus when it's ADHD related, because sometimes I'll meet with people who have the OCD diagnosis and it's like, "Mm, there's more than OCD, you know, operating here. So a couple things that I look for. One is if we're talking about an attention um, dysregulation is what's sort of the driver of the bus. So for example, and when people have both, I have to say that most of my patients, even young kids that I work with are very good at actually distinguishing what's the ADHD and what's the OCD. So let's say you have somebody who's sitting in class and they're just bored and there's just, they just cannot connect to what the teacher is saying. And so their mind starts wandering and then they start thinking, Oh my gosh, you know, if I think of the word cancer, my mother's going to get cancer. So now you have really the ADHD that, that sort of started it that gave rise to the OCD. It almost gives space to the OCD mm-hmm. versus the person, let's say who might be sitting in class and they're paying attention to the teacher and teacher says the word cancer in a biology class, and they are, now have this intrusive thought that somebody in their family could get cancer unless they do a ritual, which then distracts them from the te- what the teacher saying. That's the OCD driving the bus that causes an attention problem. But that attention problem, we wouldn't necessarily label as ADHD. Yeah. That is That is what OCD does. OCD, in a lot of ways, is an attention disorder. I mean, it really the the difference is that with ADHD you have people who are regulated in some ways towards they're drawn towards what is going to stimulate me. With people with OCD is they're almost drawn toward or avoiding what is going to be threatening and what's mm-hmm. going to cause me anxiety. But that still means that there's a dysregulation, you know, of attention. Now sometimes with compulsive behaviors, we I would also similarly tease out Well, is the compulsive behavior serving a purpose of neutralizing an obsession or an intrusive thought, which would be OCD, or people with ADHD engage in a lot of sort of ritual kind of compulsive behaviors, but more as a way of managing their ADHD. So I could give you an example from my own experience that when I was in college and I had to uh, write a paper and... To sit down and write a paper, I had to clean my room meticulously, meticulously, like my desk had to be decluttered, I couldn't have a dust ball on the floor. Mm. Now part of that was kind of procrastination because people with ADHD were good at procrastinating, um, (laughs) leaving things for the last minute. So part of it is like, oh, let me clean my room right now. That seems like a better thing to do than writing this paper. But the second thing is that cleaning my room, actually, I can't focus with clutter around me. I can't think straight. I can't, I I my, I get too distracted by stuff around me. So my friends always knew when I was about to write a paper because my room was spotless. Um, <laughs> And they would actually comment and say things like, "Oh, you know, you seem like you have OCD." And I said, "No, this is this is not about that. This is more because it's not about oh, I need this to be clean for the purpose of being clean and perfect. It's no, I need this to be clean so I can think to write this paper because if I don't do that. So sometimes even in surveys, we have to be aware of when people check off, you know, I compulsively clean my room. Mm -hmm. Well, I would." want to know more about that and more about what's kind of behind that. And is it driven by ADHD? Is it driven by OCD? Um, And again, the two of them can kind of work in cahoots with each other too, because you can have individuals who, let's say, um, might uh, maybe because they get so distracted or they make careless errors, which people with ADHD can do, they can sometimes overcompensate, by being very perfectionistic as almost a coping mechanism for the ADHD. So for patients I work with who have both, they'll say that sometimes their perfectionism rituals started because they actually were making careless errors and were getting, um, you know, making mistakes that they weren't because of their ADHD. So they overcompensated by then, not just, checking their work which is what you would do as a strategy but then checking it 10 times 15 times 20 times mm-hmm. and then that's like the ocd taking, it's like a massive overcorrection, you know in mm-hmm. a way um so the two can kind of definitely work in that way and similarly if somebody who's engaged in ocd kind of behavior that they can almost sometimes welcome the distractibility of something that takes them outside of just focusing you know, singularly on a certain thought. So I always say it's very important to tease out and even questionnaires don't always capture that because you always want to understand that. Um, people with ADHD, for example, have uh, major problems with sleep. That, that's a very common thing. It's very difficult for the ADD brain sometimes to just get itself to sleep, to surrender to uh, sleep. So sometimes when you ask about sleep, I would want to know, okay, are you lying in bed, and you're just like, okay, I'm not sleeping now, I'm not sleeping, da-da-da-da, and then your mind just wanders to something, and then you start getting anxious. Let's say if it wanders to an obsessive Mm -hmm. thought, Mm -hmm. then you start getting anxious, then you really can't get to sleep. But the problem primarily is Ah. the ADHD in that regard, trying to sort of ground you. Whereas sometimes people, if it's the OCD driving it, they'll, let's say, go to bed and they just have intrusive thoughts. It's not that they're just thinking of nothing and having a hard time grounding themselves. They're That's what's the cause of what's making it difficult for them to go to sleep. So they can really be sort of intertwined in that way.
1: Wow, fascinating. Thank you so much. That's such a great explanation because, I mean, I, I certainly know, I've, I've definitely had clients, but I also know anybody listening right now, absolutely, you know, that's kind of, I think kind of that, that confusing factor uh, for folks. And I think that's that's so well stated in terms of understanding kind of what's the function and purpose of kind of your behavior. Like, what are you really doing? Like you said, who's driving that bus? Like what's, what's the actual, and, and like you said, sometimes they do actually cross. Um, right. So, you know, getting getting more, getting clearer about what you're actually doing and for what purpose. Um, and, I, and the last question I have, and, and I, I understand this may be a big question, but I always like to ask, you know, if somebody's listening and they might go, "Wow, this is great. What can I do about it? Um, yeah. You know, or what could be like any any, any kind of guidance information that you might uh, provide."
0: Sure. So in terms of treatment, so we're talking just about ADHD. It really would uh, you have you know therapy, but really therapy that focuses on executive functioning skill training. Um, You know, one of the sayings we have in the ADHD community is it's not about knowing what to do a lot of the time. It's about doing what you know. So everyone with ADHD has heard, you should get a planner. You should, you know, set your alarm. You should, you know, all of (laughs) these things. It's like, okay, but yet there's a disconnect there. So sometimes it's, okay, how do we now tailor it to understanding what's getting in the way? If you're late for Uh, session, for example, like I had a patient years ago, who was 40 minutes late for a 50 minute session. And he was fired by previous therapists, because they said, well, you know, you're not ready to work on these issues. And he was actually had OCD and ADHD. Now, interestingly, his ADHD wasn't diagnosed until we started working together, because he was so late. And I was asking him, you know, what, what's getting in the way. And it was very clear was more ADHD related stuff, he'd wake up too late, he would lose his keys. He His gas tank would be on empty. He had to go fill up the gas tank. It would be like this chaos. Had nothing to do with the OCD. It was all about these executive functions. And I said, oh, well, then this is part of your treatment, really, is working on how to get you here on time. But but uh, like when I think about the disservice, it is to fire a patient. This <laughs> yeah. is his yeah. issue. <laughs> right. Like, this is... And and his ADHD was the biggest impediment to treating his OCD because mm-hmm. if, if therapists aren't working with him because he's right. running late, how is he going to treat his OCD, which is quite debilitating? So we started doing this, these skills training around, you know, how do we set reminders and alarms and, um, you know, kind of planning things ahead of time, things like planning his clothes the night before. So literally just wakes up, throws on his clothes. He doesn't have to look at, oh, where's my socks? Where's my underwear? Where's my shirt? A lot of those kinds of skills training, cognitive behavioral therapies really uh, could be very helpful. Um, mindfulness skills, very important. People with ADHD are have a hard time being in the present moment, yeah. you know, a lot of the time and grounding themselves. Um so, and then as far as medication, you have the stimulant medication and non-stimulant medication, and they can be very helpful. Not everyone with ADHD takes medication or has to, um, but it really uh, depends on, you know, whether they can kind of connect to the skills and the treatment. And if they can't, medication's very, very helpful. And that could be for kids as young as four who are taking meds to... People in their sixties I've worked with with ADHD who take medication oh. and it could really make a big difference in terms of their ability to just regulate better. Mm-hmm. Um, now with OC, when OCD is in the picture, sometimes a stimulant medication might make the OCD worse for mm-hmm. some people. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting that popular belief is that it will make it worse for everyone with OCD. And that's not true at all. Interestingly, I would say in my practice over the years, probably 65-35, 65 65 percent of people who have both ADHD and OCD could take a stimulant medication. And the stimulant actually indirectly helps their OCD uh-huh. because the stimulant enables them better to focus on what they want to focus on, uh-huh. meaning that those obsessive thoughts are almost like they're better able to notice the thoughts there, but then say, I'm going to direct my attention to this thing, my work, or this thing I'm working on the other 35%, the medication, unfortunately, enables them to focus more on their obsessive thought. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we want. Um, so that's where non-stimulants can be helpful for people who do want to take medication for their ADHD. Then with the OCD, all the typical work with the OCD, when people will have it um, both, and you can be on an SSRI and a stimulant, they do not contraindicate each other. Um, and as far as the treatment, it really is making sure that you're Treating both conditions simultaneously, because ADHD in particular will undermine the treatment of any comorbid condition if you're not working on it. It will undermine it because that patient, if you think about OCD treatment, you know, I know all of the other great podcasts that you've done of people talking about, you know, behavioral therapy and cognitive therapy. There is an element or an assumption of executive functioning in right. that treatment. Yes. I mean, you're you're having someone write mood logs, let's say, well, we're assuming they'll remember that piece of paper, yes. that they haven't lost that piece of paper. <laughs> and I have had many patients over the years who feel like not only their self-esteem is hit by having ADHD and OCD, but then they feel like they're even failing as patients because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I lost that sheet or it ended up in my washing machine. And, and I said, okay, no big deal. So part of what we have to do as clinicians when working with someone with adhd who has a neurodiversity is we have to be outside the box and so i say to my patients okay instead of writing it down you always have your phone just keep an audio file just speak into your phone you know whatever your triggers are or, or whatnot you know have it there you know on your phone um with exposures interestingly i have found that we can't assume so when let's say if you have someone with just ocd and you might have a ranking of of things that are subjectively distress, uh, distressing to them. And, you know, let's say if it's someone with contamination issues, they have their hand on a toilet seat and they're getting anxious because they're focused on the fact that their hand is on a toilet seat and mm-hmm. that people have used that toilet seat. With ADHD, and I remember um, I, did, I, I did my clinical training at McLean Hospital in mm-hmm. Boston, uh, Massachusetts, where I'm from. And they have the OCD Institute there, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal place. And I remember having a patient there years ago in my training who had ADHD and OCD, and he had his hands in garbage. And what should have really been in a high anxiety level, he didn't look anxious at all in the exposure. And I said, where's your head right now? Like, where are you thinking? He's like, oh, I'm thinking about this trip to Disneyland that I went on a couple weeks <laughs> ago. <laughs> and he goes, and it was a really fun trip. <laughs> like, oh. said, okay. So this is where we don't want you to be thinking about that. We want you to think about. But what we I realized working with him, which was so important in the work I do, is ADHD because part of ADHD is distract. You know, people get distracted. That means they can get distracted out of their exposures, out of even like distressing situations sometimes where we kind of want, they need to be in the emotion in order to work through the emotion. Because people with ADHD are also very uh, avoidant of negative affect, really avoidant. Like we, you know, it's almost like the default is we're pleasure seekers. So um, now sometimes that can work well and a lot of times it cannot because we need to feel sad in order to work through grief. We need to be angry in order to be assertive and have assertiveness skills. And so I said, okay. And it was evident we had to go up a higher rung on the hierarchy in order for him to really be present in the moment. And Mm -hmm. I have found with ADHD, OCD patients, clinicians, that's a good thing for clinicians to tune into, not to assume that, oh, this is clearly their anxiety level is high because their head could be literally somewhere else uh, in that regard but always working on making sure both pieces you know if somebody is doing self-directed exposures you have to be part of the treatment is being very clear and specific as to when they're going to do it because with someone with adhd if i said you know to um, someone with adhd okay so you're going to do that self-directed exposure on friday to that person, that means any time from 12 a.m. on Friday to 11.59 p.m. And so at any given moment, that person can say, oh, I have all the rest of the day to do. Yes. And then it's 11.59 and the day's almost over. That's kind of how we think, really. You know, We joke in, in the ADD world that there are two time zones. There's the now and the not now. And so <laughs> it's like, if it's not now, well, I can do it. So I'm very, like, it almost can feel... Um, mili- like militaristic at times, but mm. this is they, the more structure, the better. So it's, okay, you're going to do a self-directed exposure seven, and we usually pick an odd time, like 7.13 PM, because they'll tend to remember that better Got than it. 7 PM. So 7.13 PM, you know, why don't you set an alarm? And then as a, and I don't say, I don't think every clinician has to do this, but I integrate it where I'll, I'll like text them or email them as a reminder saying, okay, so you're doing, you know, the exposure now. Report back to me right after you do the exposure, um, so that there's that accountability. Yes. Um, and in the ADHD world, you know, we call it having an accountability because the word accountability seems so like stern. Um, <laughs> so we try to we try to soften it a little bit, but we do best people with ADHD with high accountability, high structure. But we can't we can't be so structured that the person feels suffocated, you know, by it. So That kind of, when ADHD is in the picture, that has to be into consideration with OCD treatment because otherwise you're going to have somebody that might, if they're supposed to do an exposure every day and they're meeting with you once a week and the assumption is, okay, they've done seven exposures in between sessions, you meet with them, they're like, yeah, I kind of forgot to do that. Uh, And, you know, their medication, I mean, part of ADHD is being even compliant, and we I put that word in quotes because to be compliant with medication, a lot of my patients know how helpful their medication is for both the OCD and the ADHD, um, but they sometimes forget where they put the medication. They forget to take it. They forget to refill it. This is all executive functioning stuff. So this is the kind of stuff that a clinician has to make sure is definitely being monitored when ADHD is in the picture because these are common issues that then really can disrupt the treatment.
1: Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Lavardia. That is very thorough. I think that that's, that's such a great overview and explanation. And this is definitely such a needed topic. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show. And lastly, you know, if anybody wants to reach out or find you, how can they?
0: So I don't have any social media. I sort of live in the dark ages. So the good old-fashioned email, and I do welcome emails from people. I love hearing what people thought of the podcast, where they're from, around the world. Um, and my email is Roberto, R-O-B-E-R-T-O, underscore Olivardia, which is O-L-I-V as in Victor, A-R-D is in Daniel, I-A, at H-M-S, as in Harry, Mary, Sally, dot dot harvard.edu it's a long email (laughs) it's a long email but i will
1: make sure to include it in the show notes so people can easily find it (laughs)
0: yes excellent awesome thank you so much take care bye-bye thank you for listening to ocd whisperer podcast to get additional support with ocd and have your personal
1: questions answered whether you were newly diagnosed got through treatment and need help maintaining
0: progress or you can't afford treatment, visit Christina's on-demand Mastering OCD membership at MasteringOCD.com.